God think of man. Just how bad is a person in the sight of God? Psalm 53. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that it understand, that it seek God. Every one of them is gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. I'm after your hearts, not your heads, is a refrain often heard by college students in Dr. Mitchell's Bible classes. In his own words, his goal was to help you fall in love with the Savior, and his teachings always tended to fill your mind with the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the years, Dr. Mitchell touched a lot of lives as he served as founder and pastor of Central Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, and one of the founders and professors of Multnomah School of the Bible, now Multnomah University. He was also a pioneer radio speaker. In his day, there were no tape recorders, so he and his organist had to be at the station five evenings a week. He was heard live every weekday on radio stations in the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As we continue in our series on what did Jesus do on the cross, Dr. Mitchell will next look at how God sees men. The scriptures we will be looking to are Psalm 53 and Romans chapter 3 verses 10 through 18. And these scriptures reveal the heart of man as God sees it. And then Dr. Mitchell will again take us to several more scriptures to reveal what they say about the heart of man. Now, God's holy righteous character must be vindicated. But how? God's solution is the cross of Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross vindicated the righteousness of God. This freed God to righteously show his mercy, love, and grace to sinful man with no accusation of his being unrighteous in doing so. Let's open our Bible to Psalm 53 here with Dr. Mitchell as it reveals how God sees mankind. And you're listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Thank you. Good day, friends. And it does give me great joy indeed to just sit down here with you and talk to you face to face. Just as if I was sitting down in your room discussing these matters with you personally. And that's what I'd like to do. Just sit down and talk to you about this wonderful Savior we have and the marvelous provision he has made for men and women to be fitted for the presence of an eternal sovereign God. Do you ever stop to think of it? That God has made the provision for men and women to be redeemed. And the ground of that provision is the work which Jesus Christ accomplished at the cross. Now, in our last 
two or three lessons, we've been dealing with the cross of Christ. We found out what the attitude of the world was to the cross, one of foolishness and contempt. And to the Jew, it was a stumbling block. They looked for a glorified Messiah instead of a crucified Savior. And then we had what the cross means to God. You know, it's a wonderful thing when you think of it. It means everything to God. It just means everything to God. And if you start in in the Word of God from the book of Genesis and run right through your whole Bible, you will notice that God has made provision for men to be redeemed on only one ground, on the ground of sacrifice. I know that people don't like this, but my friend, I'm not going to argue with God about it. If he says, man is so bad, my son must come and die such a terrible death. I'm not surprised in a way that men look upon it as a foolish thing. And yet, you know, when I say that the cross, the preaching of the cross is foolishness, then I'm sitting in judgment on God and his ways. In the 40th Psalm, Jesus said, or is said concerning our Savior, in the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God. In what connection did he say this? Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared me. And when our Lord came into the human family, he came for a purpose. That purpose was to die. The moment he came on the scene and was introduced by John the Baptist to the people of the day, John introduced him not as the Messiah, but as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And I ask the question, what is your attitude to the cross of Christ? Couldn't God have saved people some other way? You know, this is what comes to me. Instead of basing salvation on what Christ did on the cross, couldn't God have made some other way? You see, when I ask the question, I'm questioning the wisdom of God. I'm questioning the righteous character of God. I'm questioning the ways of God. And may I say when I speak of this, and I no doubt will mention it again, it's not your value. It's not my value of the cross of Christ that's important. The importance is God's value. What is the value God has placed on the work of his son? You see, so if salvation is based upon what Christ did on the cross, this leads me to another question. Just how bad is a person in the sight of God? Or make it a little more personal. What does God think of man? that would cause him to make a way of salvation so that it means the death of his son. Not only the death of his son, but the death on a cross. So I say, just how bad is man? Now, if you have your Bibles, I wish you might turn with me to the 53rd Psalm. You know, this almost staggered me. When I read that 53rd Psalm, Have you got it? Psalm 53. 
It starts just like this. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Every one of them is gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Who eateth up my people as they eat bread? They have not called upon God, and so on. I didn't say any more about that. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men. What did he have to say? Corrupt are they. They've done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. He looked to see if there was anyone that did understand, anyone that did seek after God. Every one of them was gone back. They're all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. You see, in the Bible, we have what God sees. Now, when you and I look at each other, we can see some good in us. That is because we examine it according to man's standards. But you see, I'm talking about God. I'm dealing with God. What does God say? And in the Bible, I just find out how God looks upon us. And when I see the picture, I can understand in a little wee way the fact that God in his righteous, holy character must do something. And that when he sent his son to die, he must die that death which will satisfy the very righteous character of God. You say, but Mr. Mitchell, he's a God of love. Just a minute. Just a minute. I was talking about his righteous, holy character. God in his character can't do anything for you or for me. He demands judgment. But when I talk about his love, that God is love, I'm talking about the exercise of his heart toward you and toward me. But to manifest that love, to free that love, to free God to save men and women from sin, his righteous, holy character must be met, must be vindicated. And this is what we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But first of all, let me suggest this. The Bible doesn't lie. Have you got a camera? Did you ever take a camera and take a picture of some of your friends close up? You know, one time I had a camera which had a portrait attachment to it. And the fellow who sold it to me was a good friend of mine. Uh, told me in glowing terms how much money I could make by making portraits because uh, this was a, a, a camera, postcard size. These old kind with the bellows, you remember it. And on the front, we put a, something was called a portrait attachment. So I decided immediately to go ahead and uh, get some pictures of my friends, portraits. And I'll tell you, when I saw them, nobody wanted them. 
you go down to the photographer and you're going to have a portrait taken. He takes it with his camera, but he doesn't give you the picture he took on the camera. He takes out all the warts and the, and the, and the spots and the wrinkles. He kind of tones you down. He takes 20 years off your life when he gets through with you. He has to fix up that, uh, that picture so that it looks very, very complimentary. But you take a picture as you really are with all the spots and warts and wrinkles, whatever you have. That's the Bible. You know, the Bible never lies. The Bible shows us just what we are. Now, I would like just for a little while to talk to you about this. How does God see men? And when I see how God sees men, then I can realize something of this tremendous, tremendous work of redemption which Jesus accomplished. I begin to appreciate in a little wee way the tremendous cost of our redemption. For example, you take the book of Romans chapter 1 where we have man's degeneration, not man's evolution, but man's degeneration, or as somebody has said, they coined a word and said devolution instead of evolution. And you'll notice if you read from verse 18 on, where God speaks of the fact that man is piling up things until the day of wrath. He's just piling it up. And I find that God gave men up to three things. And when I say this, my friend, I'm just giving to you in the first chapter of Romans from verse 18 to 32, if we need one to the end of the chapter, it gives to us the human race as God sees it. It's the history of man. It's the picture of man. With all the warts and the wrinkles and the spots already there, not erased. Listen to it. The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so are they are without excuse. For first of all, man knew God, and then he glorified him not as God. He became unthankful, became vain in his imaginations. His foolish heart was darkened, and professing himself to be wise, he became a fool. And he changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image, made like the man, to birds, to quadruped, to creeping things. Even in his idolatry, even in his idolatry and corruption, you find degeneration. Now notice, man first of all knew God, and then he ends up by making his own God. And then when he made his God, he first of all made him like a man. Then he made him like a bird. Then he made him like a beast. Then he made him like a creeping thing. And God gave men up to uncleanness. You remember that? God gave men up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. What did they do? They changed the glory of the omnipotent God into an image. Like the birds, quadrupeds, creeping things, and God gave man up to uncleanness. Then, then 
man changed the truth of God into a lie. And he worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who was blessed forever. And God gave men over to vile affections. And here you have the perversion, moral perversion, between men and women. And then I read, because they refused to have God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. I've had so many men tell me when I've witnessed to them about the Savior, shut up. I don't want to hear about your Christ or your God. Don't talk to me about your Christ or your God. They refused to have God in their knowledge. And God gave them up to a reprobate mind to do the inconvenient things. And then from verse 29 to the end of the chapter, you have a list of the terrible things. It is the footage of a reprobate mind. Now, my friend, whether you want to believe this or not, this is history. And if I might be very bold and say this is the condition in the world today, it's the condition in America today. Because men have spurned the truth of God, turned their back on God and refused God. God gave men over to uncleanness, to vile affections, to a reprobate mind to do the inconvenient things. Why? They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image. Why? They changed the truth of God into a lie. Why? They refused to have God in their knowledge. and God gave them up. This is history. But what about man's heart's condition? Well, let me see what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Jesus said, Out of the heart of man, out of the depths of your being proceed evil thoughts, adulteries. And he goes on and gives you 13 terrible, broken, outbroken sins of society out of the heart of man. It doesn't come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. I don't become a liar by lying. I prove I'm a liar by lying. See, it's already in. And under certain conditions, it comes out. You take Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And he gives us a list, 17, a list of 17 things that comes that are the works of the flesh. In verse 17... He goes on to verse 19. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And from 19 to 21, we have here 17 different sins, which are manifest, the works of the flesh. And they're bad, I'll tell you. And God says here, I tell you, those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. They have no place in the kingdom of God. You take the book of Job, chapter 14. The first verse says, Man that is born of woman, his days are few and full of trouble. Who can know it? Take verse 4. Can you bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not a one. Take Jeremiah 13, 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can the leopard change his spots? Neither can you who are accustomed to do evil, do good. Isaiah 64, 6 says, Our righteousness is in God's sight, 
as filthy rags, not even laundered ones. Psalm 51, 5 says, We were born in sin, shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Oh, one could go along, my friend, in all these scriptures. It's what God sees. This is what God sees. The Most High looked over from heaven upon, the, upon men on the earth. Where did he see? Nothing that a holy, righteous God could accept. It's not very nice, is it? You take, for example, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 and 11 to 13. You hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. In time past you walked according to the cause of this world, according to the prince of the power, the spirit that now energizes the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, our manner of life in time past, in the lusts of the flesh and in the lusts of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest. And that time, says Paul, we were without Christ, we were without hope, we were without God, we were afar off. If I might add one further scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the first six or seven verses, and I, I take this and put this in brackets because this is a picture in the last days of the professing church of Christ. In the last days, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, bolsters, blasphemers, incontinent, heady, high-minded, and so on, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God and having a form of godliness and denying the power thereof and from such turn away. Oh, one could multiply the scriptures. You could even take one from the sixth chapter of Genesis where it says the thoughts and the imaginations of the heart of man was evil continually in chapter 6 through chapter 9 of Genesis where twice I think the Lord speaks of this fact that the very thoughts and the imaginations of the heart of man was evil continually. What am I trying to say to you? My friend, I'm telling you what God sees. The question I'm raising is, why should God send his precious, holy, righteous son to this earth to be abused by men, to be cast out and spat upon and crucified? Why should God do that? Why should he send his son to do that? Because you were and I was incurably bad. There wasn't a bit of righteousness in any one of us. And when Christ died for you and for me, nothing short of the cross of Calvary will satisfy. Now, you may not like this. The religious flesh and the moral flesh, of course, doesn't like it. Especially you good folk don't like it. But my friend, if this were not true, there would have been no need for Christ to come and die. It's because of the hopelessness of men that God sent his son to die for you and for me. You think about it. And our next lesson we'll take up a little further. What God sees. And the Lord bless you today.
Savior say, my strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine all in all, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to the Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Radio Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.